who cannot be excited by the, the book of Acts? I mean, I first read it, I think, when I was about 16. And growing up, knowing, or sort of knowing the Bible, you know, little bits and pieces. But when I first read it through, I just couldn't believe that every page, there was so much going on, so much excitement going on. The Holy Spirit was just, it really blew me away. It was my favourite book uh, when I was kind of 16. Now, at 60, I look back on it and I think, yeah, it still excites me, but in a slightly different way, in a slightly deeper way. You kind of think, yes, like in last week, I mean, the conversion of Saul, the conversion of Peter, the raising of uh, Aenus, the, the, um, the raising of um, Dorcas. These, these are amazing stories. Uh, the conversion of Cornelius, they're amazing stories. But then you also read about the death of James. And you go, yeah, as an older person, you recognise that none of this stuff came without sacrifice and none of it came without persecution. And in fact, the very reason that the, the, the church grew was the persecution that, that forced them forward. And so you, you kind of read it with a bit more of a mature mind if you're a, an older person uh, like I am, but with the same kind of excitement. James dies. James the Apostle, one of the, he was the first apostle to die. And he was the one that said, Jesus, you know, I want to be at your right or your left hand. He was one of those that said when they went into a Samaritan village, call down fire on these people. Not, they didn't receive Jesus in the right way. And yet James was the one that died. These, these are the anomalies. These are the complexities of the will of God. But we can't doubt that the Holy Spirit just inspired this group and often through very difficult times. So last week, I mean, and as we, we, we talk about this, I guess we think Jesus... Um, Jesus' command to his disciples was to go and make disciples. He said it's going to happen in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then to the most distant part of the earth. So that's what we see as we work through the book of Acts. We actually see that happening. It's in Jerusalem. Things are happening. When we get to this chapter, chapter 13, we're now in Antioch. A map's going to go up there any time soon. And um, you'll see that, yeah, there's a, this expansion uh, as it was meant to be. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And we often think that the command that Jesus gave there was go. That was the imperative. But actually, if you look at the underlying Greek of that passage, go is not a command at all. Go is a, a participle. It, it actually, the actual word that Jesus is saying there is going, or as you go, make disciples. The command is make disciples. The going was something that would happen inadvertently. So what Jesus was saying was, as you go, Wherever you are, preach, make disciples, baptise them, teach them all the things that I've commanded you. And you'll see this through Acts all the time, that not a moment is wasted. People become disciples of Jesus, and they don't just stay in one place, but they actually, as they go, they can't help but tell about what Jesus has done in their life. So now the action moves to a place uh, called Antioch. You can see it there in the bottom right of your, of your um, screen there. Antioch becomes the place. Antioch was a huge city. It was the third biggest city in the Roman Empire. After Rome and Alexandria, Antioch was the next one. And this becomes the basis for the, the Christian work. And you might note, if you listen very closely to Matt, as I'm sure you did in the dying parts of his reading in, in Acts, it tells us that in Antioch is where we were first called Christians. That's where the name came about. A lot of people were, um, were discipled there. A lot of people came to know Jesus. And then uh, in Acts... Chapter 13, we can start our reading. So if you'd like to open your, your Bibles with me, Acts chapter 13. And it says, In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, 
Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. First thing I want you to note is there was a church in Antioch. It wasn't like these people were converted, these people came to know Jesus, and then they were just disparate people, and they just lived out their life, I know Jesus, I, I've been saved, I've been freed of my sins, and now I'm going to lead my life. They were gathered into churches. This was the design of God. Because the design of God is not for us to live as individuals, but it's for us to be a community of faith in a place. Antioch was a big city, but these people were to form a new community. And a community that you can see wasn't uh, governed by a particular social status or, or by what kind of people they were, and where they'd come from. You know, uh, Simon called Niger, we assume he's from Africa. He's someone who's, who was black. There were, there were people who were Gentiles. There were people who were Jews. And the idea was, and God's design was, that people would look at that and go, what's going on here? These are, these are people that don't normally mix together. What on earth have they got to do with each other? Manan, who grew up with uh, Herod there. This is not the Herod we read about in Matt's reading last week, by the way. That was Herod Agrippa. This is Herod Antipas, all part of the same family. But this guy grew up with Herod, and in fact... Uh, through the book of Luke, you'll find a whole lot of things about Herod, and you go, well, how would they know that, what he was thinking? Well, it's obviously because they'd heard it from, from this guy. But the idea was that it wasn't social status that brought them together. It was the fact of the Holy Spirit bringing them together from all walks of life. And this was meant to illustrate the kind of God God is, a God who is not partial, but cares for each person. And as you read through the miracles of Acts, and you and I are both blown away by the things that happened, resurrections and all those kind of things. Bear in mind that one of the greatest miracles happened uh, around the time of Acts chapter 2, and that was when people just started sharing things with each other. When people said, this isn't mine, it said they were not, th this possession of mine is not mine, this is for everyone else. That is a miracle, isn't it? Because you and I are all possessive people. We like to have our own stuff. We like to say, I've worked hard for that, that's mine, and that's yours, and I can help you out. But this is a miracle of God. And how much more a miracle when people who wouldn't normally have time for each other suddenly start sharing everything they have. So I digress, but this is, this is the work of the Holy Spirit in, in Antioch. So these guys were doing their thing. There were prophets and teachers there in Antioch. And then while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So the idea in placing your hands is you identify with that person, a bit like those sacrifices. You know, I'm sacrificing this goat. I put my head, hand on him because this represents me. And they're saying, these guys represent us. We're with you. We understand the Holy Spirit's called to this. Go. So they headed off. You can see on the map there, they're headed down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus which uh, is where Barnabas was from. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. This always happens, doesn't it? That whenever there's a work of God, there will be an opposition 
from someone else. You may have experienced in, in your life that when you've attempted to do something from God, suddenly a barrier arises. Well, here's one in the place of this Jewish guy. Um, Bar is the Aramaic, the equivalent of the Jewish Ben, son of Jesus, son of Jehoshua. But anyway, he was a Jewish guy. And in verse 8, it says, uh, Elymas, the sorcerer, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas. You can imagine, looking straight in his eyes. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing what was in his heart, he says to him, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind, and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. I guess this is the same thing that happened to Paul, this, this blindness, going to darkness. And maybe it was an indication to Elmas, you're in the darkness, you only don't know how dark it is. So he takes away his physical sight. What sort of interested me about this passage was not so much the miracle, because we kind of get used to those, we're seeing them page after page, but it was Sergius Paulus. It said he wanted to hear, in that uh, verse 7, he wanted to hear the word of God. And then it says, after this miracle, it says that what the pro, when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at this miracle that the Holy Spirit had done. No, you're not following along with me. He was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Don't you think that's remarkable? What's remarkable is he saw beyond the miracle to the reality of who Jesus was. And so these signs and these miracles, and people are often looking for signs and miracles, but their design is to underscore and to confirm the word of God. That's what they're, that's what they're for. Let's turn with me to, to Hebrews chapter 2, because the writer of Hebrews says the same thing. In recounting uh, the, this new arrangement through the Holy Spirit, it says, this salvation, this is in verse 3, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And then he says, God also testified to it by signs, wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So Sergius Paulus says he was an intelligent man. He got this. He understood that the signs were, were just signs. They were pointing to a reality in Christ and he believed. You might also note, and from here on in, in fact, through the book of Acts, and in fact, all Paul's letters, you'll find he refers to himself now as Paul. We're used to talking about Saul, now he's Paul. Why was that? Well, uh, there are various, some people believe, uh, you know, and, and it's true, that some people had a Jewish name and they also had a Roman name. And sometimes they would get one that kind of was very similar, Saul and Paul. Yeah, they sound pretty much the same. Sometimes that happens to us, isn't it? People come from a foreign place, uh, Amory's dad's name was Willem in uh, Holland, Willem Doll, he called himself Bill. And you know, someone who called him, their name was uh, Albert Jung, he, he referred to himself here, Albert Young. You, so it's very close. But the other interesting thing, um, Paulos and Saulos, as it, as it is in the Greek, Saulos in Greek is, is a word for a man walking in an effeminate way. So maybe Paul thought, felt this wasn't, the great, this wasn't a great name to be going about with. So for whatever reason, whether it was practical 
or otherwise. Paul here is acting in accord with the way that he talks about later, that to a Jew I became a Jew, to a, a, a Gentile I became a Gentile. He was willing to do anything. You can understand that in the Jewish um, situation, a name was very important. It was given to you often uh, seven days after your birth when they could kind of observe what kind of child you were and it had to do with your character. And it happened to be Saul, the name of the king. So to give that away wasn't a light thing, but I think we see in Paul again this idea that what's most important is getting the gospel. Now if this name can be misinterpreted or if this name is an obstacle in any way, then I'm happy to jettison it. And it's, we see the same through his letters. Okay, so from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch. You could easily think um, that this is a round trip. He's back in Antioch again. Well, if you look at the map, you'll see that this uh, Antioch up in the middle of the frame there carries the same name, but it's in a different place. In fact, I'm given to understand there was about 16 or 17 towns called Antioch. They were all named after a particular ruler, uh, Seleucus, after his dad. So he obviously liked his dad because he had 17 cities named after him. And so to differentiate which is which, this one is Antioch in Pisidia. So that's where they were. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. So the synagogue would have been something similar to this. I'm not sure if the chairs were arranged slightly this way. But the idea was there'd be a reading from the Old Testament or a reading from the prophet or the law. And then there was a, a teacher. The, the teacher would hand on things that were uh, tradition. But then there was an opportunity for anyone to get up. If they had a word of, it says here, encouragement or exhortation, so someone could come up and, and, and speak. And so Paul took this opportunity and the idea of the exhortation was not to produce anything new, but was really to, to, to make comment on something from God's word. So Paul does this, but you can see that he does it in such a way as eventually it ends in teaching, because now he's going to tell them something new. So let's see how, how it works. So standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers... He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. Take note as we go through here that um, this speech of Paul's is very similar in some ways to the one of Stephen that we read a couple of weeks ago. It takes them through history. It takes them to a place that they understood and is going to take them to a place which they don't expect. Stephen started with Abraham. Um, he, he, Paul here starts with the Exodus and note the time frames that he's talking about think to yourself why is he mentioning 40 years we were there we're 450 years there so think about this so he, entered the, uh, he endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert he overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance all of this took about 450 years after this God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Saviour, Jesus, as he promised. You can imagine that there's maybe a 
oh, where's he going here? We, we're, we're with Paul up to this point. Where's he going here? This is the good news. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not that one. No, but his, he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the, the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had travelled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news, the evangel, the gospel. We tell you the good news, what God has promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I've become your father. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. That's a quote from Isaiah. And then in, he quotes the psalm, for it is stated elsewhere, you will not let, not let your holy one see decay. But when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. You can see where Paul is going with this. What he's doing is taking their scriptures and saying, well, this psalm which you believe is about David, that his body wouldn't see decay, you know very well that he did die and his body did see decay. So it must be about someone coming after him. And this is the one we preach, Jesus Christ. And he's saying, in term, talking about these time periods, it's saying not everything's evident about the plan of God all at once, but it took a long time for that to happen through the Exodus. It took a long time for that period of the judges. There was a long time before they got a king, Saul and then David. But now Christ has come. This is the fulfillment of everything you've been talking about in the synagogue. And then he adds, well, well, he adds a promise and then a warning. He said, therefore, my brothers, in verse 38, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. What a, what a promise. But then the warning, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. That's probably one of the, the longest uh, talks we have, if you like, exhortation that we have of, of Paul. And the message is clear. And the result was, it says, as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. They encouraged them. The other versions say they entreated him. They begged him to do that. There was something in that message that really appealed to them. And maybe we can talk about that later. But it says that on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively about what Paul was saying. What did we say? Whenever there's a work of God, there's opposition. Sometimes opposition even from those who claim 
to worship God, to be the gatekeepers, if you like. And there was opposition here. And it says, um, Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, 46, we had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we will now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may be, bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Even in this rebuke, there's a reliance, isn't there, upon the promise of God that the Gentiles would be involved in this kingdom of God. And it says, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honoured the word of, God, of the Lord and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they, that's Paul and Barnabas, shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. That's the other side of persecution, isn't it? Joy. The kind of joy that's not reflective necessarily of our circumstance, but reflected of being in a place where we know and we're doing God's will. And the Holy Spirit is, is testifying to that. And whether, we, whether we're in good circumstances or bad circumstances, this is the joy the Holy Spirit gives us. So at Iconium, what did Paul and Barnabas do? What was the command of Jesus? As you go, keep preaching. That's, that's what Paul did. That's how the message got to Antioch. And this is in Iconium. Paul and Barnabas went as usual into the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Gentiles believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there speaking boldly for the Lord, and note, who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to do miraculous signs and wonders. Again, God distributes these signs and these wonders according to his will in order to confirm his word, the gospel. That's, that's the glory. The people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. There was a plot afoot among the Gentiles and Jews together with their leaders to mistreat them and stone them. But, when they found, but they found out about it and fled to Lycaonian cities of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding country where they continued to preach the good news. It's that same theme, isn't it? We get knocked out of one place, we'll go to another place. But wherever we go, whatever circumstances we are, we will be bringing this gospel to people that we meet along the way. So in Lystra there was a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him. Same look, same Holy Spirit look. And it says, I saw that he had faith to be healed. Well, how did he know that? He knew that because the Holy Spirit was in him and he recognised that in this man. And he called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man staggered to his feet slowly and began to walk. No, this is, this is the marvellous thing. It says he leapt to his feet, jumped up and began to walk. This, this is the power of God and it's also the generosity of God. I just see God's generosity in everything. That God gives us more. The, the sacrifice of Jesus was more than Adam lost. The gifts that God gives are greater than the physical gifts. These, uh, when he gives us his grace, it's not just enough, it's abundant. And here, this man just doesn't stagger to his feet, but he jumps up to his feet. He leaps to his feet. What an amazing 
miracle. And it says, when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lacaonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Wow. From opposition to, uh, yeah, amazing, the gods have come down. And apparently in this area there was a, a story that the gods had come down one time. They came down to an older couple and they stayed with the couple and they were blessed and the rest of the city missed it. And so they decided, well, we're not going to miss it this time. Went, wow, the gods have come down, Zeus and Hermes. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out in the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, a human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things and so on. What a, what a refreshing change that is, people not taking credit uh, for something coming from God. I don't know how you feel, but sometimes I see those um, large ministries or television evangelists and I think, is it really all about God here or is it all about you? Sometimes I see people uh, introduced. We went, Anne-Marie and I went to a conference once and the person was introduced as the greatest pastor in the world. Well, I don't know if he was, but I do know that those kind of accolades are not meant for human beings. That Paul and Barnabas, they didn't just say, hey, that's not right. They ripped their clothes apart. They go, this is absolutely opposite of everything that we believe. That there is a God that deserves worship. And we're just servants of his. And you'll see it through the book of Acts that every time when they're talking about their work, they say, the things that God did through us. You see, God gives his gifts as he distributes them. And so there's no particular value in a human being. We can't say because God's given us a gift, that makes me better. And we certainly shouldn't do that for other people. And say, well, they're, they're great. They're on this high stature. The gifts are given by God, all glory to God. And so um, Paul took seriously, I think, um, these words of Paul, as you go, tell, because he doesn't just say, no, don't do this. It suddenly turns into a, an evangelistic witness. Look how he speaks to them. He said, we are bringing you good news, telling to you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let the nations go their own way, yet he has not let himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Paul, again, identifies things that they knew and accepted, that they had many, many good things. And then he gives the glory and the honour to God and said, I want to tell you about this God. It's the same as later he's in Athens and he sees that, uh, you know, that, that altar to an unknown God and says, I want to tell you about that God. Because Paul is looking for opportunities, um, places of connection between whoever, whether they're Jew or Gentile. And it says, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. I mean, what an amazing turnabout. You wouldn't blame Paul if he said, well, hold back, maybe we do need those sacrifices. Come on back. But now he's gone from a god to, to less than human. And it says that um, after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. 
We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. What an understatement. But words have meaning, don't they, when they're in the lips of someone who has experienced such suffering. Paul said that's what it means to be a Christian, to go through persecution. This is what it means to enter the kingdom of God. It's going to happen, but it's not going to be painless. But there will be joy, and it is the will of God. So, um, we, uh, and then Paul and Barnabas in verse 23 appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. I think that's a beautiful little verse. We could, we could talk about that for a long time. But the, again, the idea of God was to form these communities and then to put elders into those communities and have this loving, caring, almost family arrangement that would bring glory to God. And, and Paul basically just leaves them alone. But does he? Because it says they pray and they fasted and they commended them to the Lord. Because Paul knew that the church's life and death didn't devolve on him. The, life's, the life of the church doesn't, it, well, it doesn't rely on, on Tony Wilson. Tony's going, what would we do if it relied on Tony Wilson? It doesn't. It doesn't rely on Sean or Andrew. Or, or Brian or Colin. They commended the church to the place and to the person who looks after and directs the church, and that's Jesus Christ. They knew that. And so Paul could leave without any worry because he knew, well, God's going to look after this church and he'll raise up people when he needs to and we don't need to worry too much. No huge planning for meeting for how it was going to go, just like it was in Antioch. No need to plan. How's this going to be? What's this going to look like in five years? Can you give us a flow chart? The Holy Spirit's in charge of this stuff. Let's, let's let him do his thing. So from, uh, uh, yeah, after going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia. From Atalia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work that they'd now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported, note that phrase there, all that God had done through them and how he, God, had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles and they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Wow, what an amazing what an amazing trip, that first missionary journey of, of Paul. I mean, even when you look at the distances, I think it's 300 miles or something like that from Jerusalem to Antioch, many thousands of miles through there. And if you look at um, those cities there, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra and Derbe, are all the cities that were written to when Paul writes to the Galatians. They're in Galatia. So you can imagine, imagine those places, imagine his experiences when Paul writes to Galatia. And if you write, read the first two chapters of Galatians, Paul says, uh, this is my experience. And in fact, uh, he goes on to talk about what we talk about in the, in the next chapter. But he says, when I came to you, I came in sickness. So Paul did this amazing journey from Perga to Antioch. There's a huge range of mountains. And they say these are incredibly hard to cross. There's disease, there was highwaymen. And this is probably, uh, you know, when Paul talks about his experiences of being uh, you know, attacked by robbers and whatever. Paul exhausted himself totally for the kingdom. He came in sickness, but he came in power. And then at the end of it, he says, God's accomplished all of this. I mean, that is, that's the Christianity. That's the attitude for us, isn't it? In our, in our ministry, this is what God is, has done in us. It, didn't, it wasn't that it took no effort. Paul didn't just coast along. He put everything into it, but the results were down to God. So, uh, where are we? And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So here, and this is mentioned in Galatians, this council at Jerusalem. So I said, on the, on the back of success often comes opposition. 
So here you think they had great success. They'd converted Jews, they converted Gentiles, they brought people into the church. These people were now ministering to each other. They were sharing the good news with others. They were caring for the poor. Bliss. Until some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, this isn't direct opposition, isn't it? This is just like a correction. So these people are coming up from Jerusalem. They say they're coming from James, who's a prominent man. They go, hey, you got most of this right. The Gentiles, yes, we welcome them into the kingdom. But of course, naturally, they've got to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Well, Paul was having none of that. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. Interestingly, what we have here, and later on Barnabas uh, is in dispute with them, Peter's in dispute with them, if you read Galatians chapter 2, you'll find that when these guys came, even Peter was f- f- compromised and said, well, maybe I-, I shouldn't eat with the Gentiles, and he ate with the Jews. And then it says even Barnabas was brought along as well. So these people were, this was a, a very insidious kind of idea that maybe seemed innocent at first, but you can see, and as we read through Acts chapter 15, that by the end of this chapter, or by the time this visit had happened, Peter and Barnabas were on exactly the same page as Paul because they recognised what the gospel implications were. And you and I can do the same thing. Sometimes we might compromise or something, well, that's not too bad. But sometimes a bit of reflection, a bit of prayer, a bit of talking to others and the Holy Spirit reveals the importance of some of these things. So they say you've got to be uh, circumcised. Paul and Barnabas were in sharp dispute and debate. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. That's always a good idea. It's always a good idea. We talked about this in terms of resolving difficulties. If you have an issue with someone, don't just kill the messenger. Go back to the original person. Don't talk to other people. Go to the source of the issue and see whether, is this really what they said? Because you'll find as we go through Acts 15, that's not what James had said. Uh, He says they weren't authorised by him. They said they were. And isn't that often the case with their own situations? We think we know a situation and when we go back to the person, you go, no, actually, that's not what I said at all. So great wisdom in here. Paul and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way and as they travelled, note this again, as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted This news made all the brothers very glad. Not a moment wasted. Not a moment wasted. Even if they're heading down, we've got to go to Jerusalem, we've got to see these guys. But on the way, they stop and encourage the the brothers and sisters. They tell them what God has been doing through the Gentiles. They they give glory to God. They witness as as they go along. This news made all the brothers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they had reported everything, note this phrase again, everything God had done through them. Beautiful reception, lovely Christian story. Christians come from Antioch, they come down to Jerusalem, they're welcomed, brothers. Uh, And so, then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and dressed them. Peter, the man that had compromised, but now had come to an understanding. He said, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. 
God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Powerful. Powerful, isn't it? And it says the whole assembly became silent because now Barnabas and Paul get to put their bit in, telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. So that's only one verse, but you can imagine Paul and Barnabas talking about the, the miracles that God had done. And then when they'd finished, James spoke up. James, brother of Jesus, had an enormous sway in Jerusalem. He was, he was called James the Righteous. They called him camel knees because they said he was so much on his knees in prayer that his knees looked like camel's knees. This was a man that people would listen to, but a man who, who loved the law and kept it himself. But it says, the whole, uh, it says, when they'd finished, James spoke up saying, brothers, listen to me. And I think language is important. This, this whole thing is not a fractious debate, it's brothers. It's like, let's work this out. Let's see what the Holy Spirit says. Let's get the testimony of the Holy Spirit uh, through the ears of these men. Let's see what scripture says and let's come to a conclusion. So brothers, listen to me. Simeon has, uh, Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this as it is written. And here he quotes the Old Testament. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the remnant of men may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, and all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things that have been known for ages. Then James goes on, it's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. So these guys got it. It was a combination, wasn't it, of hearing the testimony from these men of the Holy Spirit and then hearing God's word. Are these in concert? Are these together? They are together. Then how can we possibly argue against it? Whatever our feelings and whatever our culture and whatever we've believed up to this point. And again, what a great way of um, answering a dispute, of solving an issue, saying, well, what does the Bible say? And let's pray about this. What does the Holy Spirit say? And what's our experience? Is God behind this? It was marvellous. And then the final decision also shows great wisdom. So basically the apostles are saying, well, these are the things we've, we've decided. Yeah, they don't need to keep the law, but keep away from these things. And he mentions four things there. And he says, uh, because the, the, the word of God, Moses is being preached, in every city from the earliest times. It said, Josephus says there wasn't a town that didn't have a Jewish population. And what, this, what, what the apostles are saying, but let's be, let's be understanding. Let's be understanding of Jewish sensibilities. No, they don't have to keep the law, but let's keep away from these things. The uh, N.T. Wright says, um, summarizes as, as this, no needful circumcision, no needless offense. No needful circumcision, no needless offense. So Paul, uh, the uh, apostles here are are basically saying, let's not offend people by getting involved with things that even though we're under law, let's not not 
eat in the idol temples. Let's not eat meat that hasn't been strangled properly because that's only going to offend people who are Jewish. We know it means nothing to us, but if we are brothers and sisters, then we will do those things. And again, amazing consideration. So they come to this conclusion, then how's it going to get back to the churches? It says the apostles and elders with the whole church decide to choose some of their own men and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So this is a Jewish church and they basically say, well, what's going to happen? Paul and Barnabas go back with this letter and people are going to say, yeah, is that really from, from James? You might have written that yourself. And, and sometimes, I don't know if you've found this, but I certainly have, that if you send a text or an email, it can very easily be misunderstood. And they might be reading, what do they mean by that? What, what kind of, you know, they've got no authority over us. So the wisdom of the apostles in Jerusalem is to say, let's take a couple of our guys along, send them with Paul and Barnabas, so first of all, confirm that this is from us, and secondly, to tell them what our heart is, and tell them how we've come to this decision, and maybe relate some of those discussions that we've had about the glorious things that God's been doing through his Holy Spirit, and about scripture and how that, that refers to it. So uh, that's what they did. They chose Judas and Silas, two men who were leaders among the brothers, and with them they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria and Cilicia. Again, it's a very, very small paragraph, but I look at that and just go, this is amazing. Gentiles were viewed as scum, as dogs. And, and here we have them writing to your brothers, to the Gentile believers. This is the change. This is the change that the Holy Spirit wrought, wrought in their life and, and wrought, can wrote. I don't know where you can say, can wrought? I don't, Elizabeth, what should I say? How does this, is wrought? I don't know, who knows? Anyway, this is what God can do for us. That we can have a situation where we are at enmity or totally divided from someone and we can lose that immediately if we see our brotherhood in Christ. And so he said, we've heard that some went out from us, note, without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our dear friends Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit, that's the important one, good to the Holy Spirit and to us, not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements, you to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. And look at the result. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the brothers. I imagine they did. I imagine Judas and Silas were of the same mind. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the brothers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch where they and many others taught and preached the word of God. Here's something that could have been a total split in the whole Christian thing. We wouldn't be where we are today if not that it was resolved in this way with godly wisdom under the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, equally miraculous that people can be brought together through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I wonder, you know, when we, when we read this, I wonder... How different is it today? I, I talked, I said in my email, I would like to hear from you. What are, what are the things that are different now to the way when you read through that, you go, no, that's just totally foreign to me. 
Let's start with those things before we talk about the things that, that continue. What things are, don't continue from there? It's a tough question, isn't it? Even more so when I come close to you, I'm walking around, looking in your eyes. Well, I, I guess, uh, let me help you. Persecution. It, it, in other countries, it doesn't happen here, does it? And so we, we live in a world that's very different uh, to that world there. It uh, reminded me, um, sometimes you talk to people who are like bipolar or something like that. They have incredible highs, they have incredible lows. Doctor puts them on medication and the medication works really well. And often those people go off the medication after a while. Why do they go off? They shouldn't go off it because actually it's the best thing for them. They don't go off it often, and I don't know if you've had people express this to you, but I've had it several times, say, it just puts me on this middle level. I'm, yeah, I'm not getting the lows, but I'm not getting the highs either. And I feel I'm, I'm just living this existence. And sometimes in the Christian faith, it can be like that. We don't have the highs of the Holy Spirit. We don't have the persecution. We're in this middle level where there's not really a lot of risk and there's not really a lot lost. We don't have that as they had in the, in the first century. What other things? What other things are, are not there? Yep. Yeah, no, we don't need the mic. I'll, I'll just explain. So I wrote a saying in, in terms of the uh, person being healed from their lameness. We don't see those kind of amazing miracles. We don't often see, well, I've never seen anyone resurrected from the dead or somebody uh, blinded by the, the words of someone else. So that's true. We don't see those things. Uh, we don't see the word of judgment often. Uh, when I think about my own witness in terms of Christ, Everywhere you read Paul, when Paul's talking in Athens, he says, not only does he give them the good news, but he says there's going to be a day when God judges all people. When he talks to the people in the synagogue, he says, don't you, look, this is great news, but don't you be like the people that are just going to not believe it and perish. I think we don't have the continuity of that so much. And I find that difficult. I find it good to share the good news. I don't find it so easy to, to put that element of judgment. I, th I think that's different. I, th I think, are there any other things? Sean? Yeah. We don't, we don't have the apostles. We don't have people who can go, is this how, how it really is? We don't perhaps have the sense of urgency. Do you sense that? I think it's something that, the, that Rebecca Pippett talked about in her um, the study about um, evangelism. Where's our urgency? Where's our urgency about people who need to know God? Are we, we don't seem to be doing it in the, in the same way. And I'm talking about the church collectively. I'm not talking about individuals, but I'm talking about collectively. Where's our urgency? All right, what about the things that continue? What are the things that are the same that you see in these passages like these? What's the same? Conflicts. <laughs> This sounds like the voice of experience from one so young as Julia. <laughs> Conflicts. Yeah, conflict, that's good. I hadn't thought of that one. That's, that's very true. And gr 
We have a great uh, way of dealing with those. But yeah, conflicts will always arise. What else? Opposition to the word? Yeah. In, in subtle and in overt ways. We're probably more subtle here. What else? Yeah, connection with other believers is an amazing thing, and you've experienced that. Yeah, wherever you, wherever you are in the world, there's something that we have together. What else? Okay, yeah. So we recognise that God's put those things into place. Um, well, that's the leadership uh, Barry was saying. Cass? Ah, yes, that's right. I have two or three for you later. But yes, that's true. It's a very easy thing to do to add to the gospel or to take away from it. Anything else? Well, I was wondering when that one was going to come out. <laughs> we have the same Holy Spirit. Do we think that the Holy Spirit is not capable of doing any of these things in our own life? Would we be surprised if someone was, was raised from a, from a lame position to leaping? We shouldn't be. Because the same power of the Holy Spirit is in us. But God distributes those powers according to his will. And so it may not be in any particular situation that those things will happen. But we should always be alert and ready and prayerful for those opportunities. And not be afraid to pray for healing. Not be, not be afraid to pray for anything that, that's within God's power. And it's all within God's power, isn't it? What else do we have? Heather. Yeah, that, that still exists. We have a world that wants to hear and needs to hear. And so that's the, and the other thing that we have that fits hand in glove with that is we have the gospel. We have the good news about Jesus Christ. We have what people want. When you read through those, that Paul talking to the Jews and then talking to the Gentiles and both of them were glad or excited and want to hear, what is it about that? When you read through that, what is it you think was appealing to those people? What do people, why do they go, wow, we, we want to hear, but we come, please come and talk about this some more. Or the Gentiles, when you turn to them and say, wow, this is fantastic. What was it about that? Andrew? Winsome, that's a good, good word. Were there any particular features of that where you go, yeah, I can see why. I can see why that would blow them out of the water. Oh, that's such a small thing, isn't it? <laughs> Forgiveness of sins, why would that be appealing, Thomas? Forgiveness of sins. Why do you think that's appealing? <laughs> Give me one. Incredible. It's an incredible weight to be lifted, isn't it? Yeah. Matt was saying other religions don't have this. It's about doing more good deeds than bad deeds. 
The freedom that we have in knowing that we've got a new page with God is universally um, winsome, isn't it? Gentile or Jew, whoever you are, wow, what does, it mean? does this mean that whatever I've done in the past can be forgotten about and never brought up again? And I can start with a new page? And then they go on to learn that we've got a power to actually enter into this new page with, with victory? That's amazing. And the other thing I thought, so I better get out of here, but the other thing I thought in terms of the Gentiles was being able to give glory to God. This God that's given us every good thing. There's something in us, I think, that wants to give honour and thanks to someone. And you can stand at the Grand Canyon and give thanks to the universe or Gaia or Mother Earth, if you like. But what Paul was saying is there is a God. He's personally interested in you. He's given you all this good stuff, but he's actually got something more. And it's knowing Jesus Christ and it's having forgiveness of sins and walking on in that joy and the Holy Spirit. I think this, this is a universal book. It's some, it, these stories of Acts can be stories in our life, um, should God choose to do those. But our, there, there's always God's part and our part. God's heart, part is where he produces the gifts. Our part is faithfully serving him, talking to others as we go, speaking about the great things of God. Let me pray and just give, give thanks. Father, we are blown away. Uh, we only takes a couple of minutes to, to be blown away by the kind of God you are. You are a powerful God. You've been working through this, uh, this amazing plan of yours. And maybe Israel looked at that and goes, it's been a long time since anything happened. But your plan was progressing for the Messiah to come, to give his life for us, that we might enter into a relationship with God, that we might escape judgment and in, enjoy a, a pleasurable existence with you, uh, even in the midst of persecution. And we recognise uh, that persecution uh, exists and we have difficulties in our lives, but we thank you that there's another in the fire. We thank you that you're with us and that you may release us from those situations, in which case we praise you, or you might leave them in us, even leave us in those situations even to death. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't deliver us, even if you don't deliver us through those situations, we know we have final deliverance through Christ. All thanks to you for the Holy Spirit which empowers us. All thanks to you for entrusting us with the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.